you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through the book of Romans in what is sandwiched in between a book of great encouragement and promises about our salvation. Paul is going to slip in three or four verses here that are going to offend us, possibly. I know that it it did me. And because if you were here in Sunday school, we talked about how expository preaching ought to be just exposing what the text means. And so this morning we are going to expose what the text means, and that's going to be our message. And unfortunately or fortunately, however side of the coin you look at it, we will all be mildly, if not aggressively, offended this morning. And I want you to know me as well, challenged, convicted. And we're going to have to ask ourselves, what, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to be upset at this or am I going to evaluate this? Am I going to align myself with what the Holy Spirit teaches in His text? Or am I going to redefine it and get mad at what it says? So we're a Baptist church. I need a vote from the church. All those in favor of allowing me to teach God's Word that might tick you off, signify by saying, Amen. Those who say, I'd rather not hear it, say no. All right. This is a tough passage as it comes to evaluating whether or not we just have Christ in our culture or if we have Christ in our lives. And we're going to pick up in verse 5. All right. We're going to pick up in verse 5 where after we get this wonderful encouragement, there is now therefore zero possibility of any eternal damnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 5 moves on to say this. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but a mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we'll pause right there. Let's ask God's blessing because it's most important that you hear from God's Word, and not what I think. Gracious Heavenly Father, come before you, we ask. First of all, we worship and adore you. You are holy, you are perfect, you are just, you are loving. Father, I confess my sins in front of these people. I confessed the lust of my eyes, the lust of my flesh, and the pride of life that I battle. Father, I thank you that you are kind and you are gracious and you are forgiving. Lord, I ask that you would give me wisdom. I ask that my failures and my my limitations would not be a distraction from your word. Father, I pray that your Son would be exposed and revealed in this text. 
And so, Father, I pray these things and I ask them in your Son's precious and holy name. And if you're here this morning, say amen. Amen. Oh, you're here. Good. There's great comforting, great comfort in hearing the words, you're covered. You're covered. You get into an auto accident and you're your, your car is totaled beyond its value and you call your insurance company and they say, you're covered. You head to the hospital for an emergency and the medical team says, we got you, you're covered. Or even more encouraging than that for some of you who are, are of the financial mind is when your insurance company says, you are financially covered. Can I get a witness to that? I went to a vestibular rehab center once. I was there for 45 minutes. I got my bill for $550. 45 minutes! How many here will say, I went into the wrong profession? But man, oh man, there is one question that we have to be sure of in our lives. Is, are we covered? Are we covered? It's not enough to say, I hope I'm covered. It's not enough for, my, my parents said I was covered, or I told myself that I was covered. It's not enough to do that. You have to make sure. Because goals and, and knowledge without, without plans is just wishful thinking. We just got done in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 8, Paul just got done telling us that even in moments of failure, Oh, wretched man that I am, even in moments of sinful failure, as those who are in Christ, as true believers, we are covered. He says, therefore, there is now zero, never any eternal damnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many are thankful for that? Praise the Lord for that. There is no future damnation for a believer. You are covered eternally by the blood of Jesus Christ. But just like everything else, you want to make sure that you're actually covered. Not that you're hoping you're covered, but that, or that you're wishing you were covered, but that you are. This is what Paul's going to unpack in these verses. Paul's going to touch on the assurance of salvation. He's going to help us answer any doubts that we might have about our salvation. Am I just a person who, who sprinkles or dumps in Christ into the culture, but I, then I just live however I want? Or has Christ transformed my life in my culture? He's going to help us answer those questions. And the first thing he does is shows us that there are only two groups of people in the world. There are only two groups of people in the world. Now, that's a huge statement of clarity in and of itself. Because now we have it boiled down to just 50-50. Paul's going to give here in the text here from the Holy Spirit to help us be certain if you and I are truly saved in the faith. To make sure that there's some identifying markers. And if those identifying markers aren't there, you might want to make sure that your election, your salvation is true. Not hoping it's true, not wishing that it's true, not redefining if it's true, but knowing. This is how we determine if you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. So with that being said, let's jump into these verses here. We see Paul's intent 
when we notice the contrast through all of these verses. These verses are just is it oscillating. What is, what is this? A fan that does this. What is this? Oscillating. He just oscillates and, and te- uh, toggles, there's another one, back and forth in contrast. He, he makes a, a distinction between just two types of people. And you can see it right there in the text. Those who set their minds on the thing of the flesh or the things of the spirit. Those who are spiritually dead or those who are spiritually alive. Those who place, <coughs> have peace with God and those who are hostile towards God. Paul lays out a clear contrast between two types of people. There is a back and forth between only two possibilities. And what is clear here is that there, and I want you to grab this, there is no third category, there's no fourth category, there's no fifth category of a person. We live in a day and age that tries to break everything into multiple, smaller, and smaller, and smaller, and smaller categories. And then we're pitted against one another as though we're, we're enemies of one another. We live in a day that tries to break everyone into smaller groups and categories. For example, I am a married, non-Hispanic, straight, cisgendered, Dutch, middle-aged, educated, middle-class, right-handed, white Caucasian who was assigned male at birth. That's my category. It's crazy, but it's my category, all right? Now, before you get offended and go, oh, he touched on untouchable things. No. Before we get offended, let's at least hear why I brought this up. As far as spiritual life is concerned, as far as salvation is concerned, God does not look at any of these things. He doesn't look at any of these distinctions when it comes to a relationship with Him. By the way, that's what Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 is all about. There's no Jew, no Greek, there is no slave, no free, there is no male or female, but all are one in Jesus Christ. The only thing God separates people in is whether or not he is in relationship with them or he is not in relationship with them. Either you belong to him or you do not. Paul outlines here is extremely simple. In verse 5, there's only two mindsets. In verse 6, there's only two destinies. In verse 7 and 8, there's only two natures. There is not a single, now grab this, hyphenated category. There's not a single hyphenated category category. So let us look at the text that is about the assurance of true salvation. He says this, the first thing we see is this, for those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. I want you to grab the words, they set your mind, they set their minds on it. Now this is going to get uncomfortable quickly, but rather than get angry, evaluate, all right? And I will do the same because like I was talking with Jason in the podcast, um, I said, when I'm up here preaching, I'm just not delivering something that I think you desperately need, but I am wrestling with it myself and I am in desperate need of it. So when you see the words, set your minds, the first thing that we must evaluate when looking at the assurance of salvation is what is our mindset? What is our mindset? What is the focus of our lives? Let me just be a little bit clearer, shall we? The Greek word here, phroneo, all right, means what is the orientation of our mind? What is the bent of our mind? What is the pattern of our mind? What is the pattern of our affections and our will? 
to be absorbed with something or someone. In short, what is the dominant pattern of your mind in your life? Now, I'm not saying you can't think of anything else, all right? I've recently been thinking this week about how unjustly the University of Michigan has been persecuted. Can I get a witness? No. (laughs) Green's like, no. (laughs) I'm not saying we can't think of other things or enjoy other things. Of course we can. But what is the pattern of our minds set on? What is your focus? What are you absorbed with? You ever see young love? How many here have ever seen young love and throw up in your mouth? Anyone at all? Who has seen that in your life? Oh, it's hilarious and and, and frustrating and convicting all in one. Everything is determined by that young love. What would you like for dinner? Well, Billy loves pizza, so I want pizza. I'm like, you hate pizza your whole life. Now you want to eat it. What are you doing this weekend? Whatever Susie wants to do. But it's not just young love. In, In humble transparency, Amy is a treasure in my life. I make all of my relational decisions with her in mind. Mostly because I don't want to get in trouble, all right? So I try, I'm like, did I do good? No. All of my relational decisions are with her in mind. Now, does that mean I don't fail, Amy? Quiet, honey. (laughs) Apparently, it's a cardinal sin to keep your socks on the kitchen table. I didn't know that, all right? But it's a cardinal sin, and I know very well that that is a no-go with Amy. So when I'm irritated and upset and she is not clearly in the will of God, I throw my socks on the table, all right? It's just a a, a signal, if you will. But she's in all of my decisions. But there is a pattern. If you ask me to do something, I will make that decision on how it would affect her and our relationship. How to spend my money or our money always includes her. My pattern of thought will not make a decision that diminishes her or our relationship. So let me just say this real quickly, what this means here. She is baked into everything I do. She is baked into everything I do, all right? Now, this should be some marriage counseling for many of you that are are getting married in the coming year, whether it's Grace or Luke or Morgan and Ryan or Caleb and Elizabeth. When you get married, it is no longer I, it's us, it's we. It's, it's It's a one flesh unit in every decision you make. You make for the greater good of the marriage. Now, that's free, premarital. No, it's not free. I'll let you know, all right? Premarital advice and marital advice for all of us. That's what Paul's getting at here. Is Christ baked into how you make all your decisions? Is he the primary reason and thing that you consider in your mind? In short, the lost unbeliever's pattern, mind is on the flesh. The things of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Worldly things. The believer, a saved person's pattern of affections of their mind is on the things of the Spirit. In clear terms, those who are truly saved will increasingly be concerned about godly things over worldly things. God will be baked, Christ will be baked into all of their decisions. Now this next illustration, I really wrestled whether or not I should give it to you. But it fits well 
And it's a place where Amy and I have failed and we have succeeded. So allow me to give you what I believe was one of those humble successes. When my daughter Madison was in high school, and I got permission from her to share this, she played volleyball at the local high school and junior high and then into high school, and she was quite good. She was quite good, and we enjoyed uh, going and watching her play and, and, and advancing in her skills and going to the games. And then the day came when she wanted to go on a traveling volleyball league that would, that would mean we would, or at least one of us, likely Amy, right, because I'm kind of expected to be here. You would notice that. We would be gone every weekend and Sunday. She wanted to go on a traveling volleyball league, which means we would be gone. Now, I'm not saying a hey, periodic Sunday or you got a, a tournament that's two weeks in a row. We're not talking legalism here. We're talking about a pattern and an example. But what was in front of us was going to be a pattern. It was going to be the bent of which our decisions will be based around. So Amy and I talked about it, and our answer was no. It would pull us away from church. It would separate us during times of worship. Christ would be marginalized in order to chase this. Our lives and our decisions would be centered around and pandered around this sports schedule and all of the requirements that come with it rather than Christ, His church, and His precepts. It would teach our daughter that the things of this world were of a higher importance than Christ. And by the way, this volleyball up there is a placeholder for anything. Work, play, money, control issues, self-promotion, ease of life, personal safety, whatever drives us. Cabins up north. I told you we'd be offended. I, there was a couple last year, they, they have a cabin up north, and I kept seeing them at church. And I, thought, I said, I thought, I thought you have a cabin up north, and don't you normally go up there? And I was so impressed by them. They said, yes, but... We decide to drive back every Sunday because we don't want to be drawn away from the community and the church of Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord for that. Whatever drives us, whatever drives our affections, our patterns, and our behavior, is Christ a passive part of your decision making? Do we make decisions that, that are, you know, here's the big decision and we'll somehow fit him in? That's not the pattern that we're looking at here. But is it a dominating part? No, I'm not saying we can't enjoy these hobbies or these goals or these interests. Of course we can. But those things should not be the pattern by which we live our lives. Paul's saying, if you are in Christ, your mind, the pattern, the bent, the, the obsession, the, 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 the pattern of your mind will be on Christ because the, your treasure is Jesus Christ and you are increasingly preoccupied and dominated by your love for Him so much that that passage we know, that treasure that we find in the field, we will sell everything in our old lives to be with Jesus Christ. To have that treasure, to be in the kingdom of God, to be to serving Him and taking up our cross and, and, and hating everything by Him in comparison. Three things should dominate the pattern of our decisions. And frankly, I'm going to say this clearly, in this order. Because if there's one thing that we worship very much, 
In our circles, in this community, and with this churches, we worship family over Christ. In fact, we will use the name of Christ as a vehicle to worship family. Three things should dominate the pattern of our decisions. Christ, church, family. Christ, church, family. If you are pulling your family away from Christ and His church, you're not loving your family. Will this decision I'm about to make draw me closer to Christ? Will it draw me closer to His bride? Will it draw me closer to my family? Then the answer is yes. Go for it, folks. Run to it. Will this decision in front of me diminish Christ? Will it diminish church? Will it diminish our family? Then the answer is no. R.C. Sproul sums up the intent of Paul here with chilling clarity. We don't know where we're going to be a year from now or 10 years from now. What really matters is where we're going to be 100 years from now. If the pattern of our minds are set on the things of the world, then 100 years from now, that pattern tells us we will be in hell. But if our minds are concerned about the things of God, the Spirit of God, the truth of God, the sweetness of God, then a hundred years from now, that pattern tells us we'll be enjoying His glory forever. Ouch. This has been carved out of our teaching of easy believism. Let me make this clear. Salvation is free. The gospel is free. It's been paid for. There's not a single work you can add to it. But the discipleship that comes with true salvation is costly. You die. You pick up a cross. And you follow. My friends, what is the pattern? Let us not play with this anymore. What Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is clear. There's no fog on the window, all right? What dominates our minds and affections is a clear signal if you are a child of God or not. I want to talk to you young married couples and college and career. Now, this could be for all of us because we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. But if, if I could speak to some of the young couples in a day and age where commitment to Christ in the church is avoided for fear there might be something better we might miss. Oh, examine that heart. Make Christ and His church and your family the pattern by which you live your life. Paul could not be any clearer on this. In fact, he moves on to the two clear destinies here. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Now, the word death up here is eternal damnation. That's the context, is it not? There is now, therefore, no eternal damnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word life here refers to eternal life, spiritual life. A Christian who has placed their faith in, here it is, not the culture sprinkling, but the life transforming faith of Jesus Christ because of his grace. Now the word peace here, right there, the word peace here is not talking about emotional calmness. Is not talking, when you become a Christian, you're not guaranteed, can I, and I want to witness on this, I want an amen. Those of you who have been in Christ Jesus for a long time know you are not guaranteed emotional calmness, amen? amen. That's not what this is about. I don't have a peace about this. How many, I've prayed about whether or not I should do this, and the Lord has not given me the peace. 
Well, sometimes the Lord wants us to do things that don't calm us down. Can I get a witness there? Your peace is not the determining factor of God's will. This is. This is. And if you get peace doing it, praise the Lord. If you fear for your life while you do it, glory to God. But this is our authority, not how we feel. Our peace about something is not the determining factor of God's will. God does not move based on Brett Boomsma's peace. Ask every character ever found anywhere in the entire word of God, male or female. Ask Jonah about his peace. Ask Moses about his peace. Ask the Virgin Mary about her peace. Hey, you're going to be with child. Are you nuts? How can this be? How about Peter? Hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Oh, thank you, Lord. This feels great. This isn't talking about our emotional peace. That's subjective. It's talking about our peace with God. No, no longer at war with God. No longer enemies with God. This peace with him is about your peace with God. To be at peace with him because you are in Christ. Because your sins have been forgiven. We see this clearly brought up in the next text here when he says this. The mind of the flesh is not at peace with God. Here it is in the purple. It's what church? It's what? It's hostile towards God. That's what we're talking about here. Which simply means the lost or the unsaved religious person. That's what I want to get to. The unsaved religious person is not at peace with God. In fact, they are at hostility with God because here it is, there's only two categories. There's only two categories. Now this word hostility is interesting. It just doesn't mean an act of rebellion against God. Well, inclusive of that, of course. There are people who are actively against and rebelling against what Christ has said. But it also includes the idea of passive apathy. Of passive apathy and indifference towards the things of God himself. Because the point that is in mind here is that someone who is not truly saved will not, let's hit that right there, will not subject themselves to the law of God. Let me put it a different way. Will not submit themselves to loving God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, and and others as themselves. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I love this, indifference towards God is often the worst form of hatred. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a cartoon picture of Charles Spurgeon. But tell me, that is the spitting image of Paul Vandermeer. <laughs> that might have drawn away from the point. But it's not my fault. It's whose fault? Paul's. Stephen Lawson puts us into a picture that might cause us to be uneasy in our cultural Christianity here in Grand Rapids. But he says this, hostility means we refuse to come under the authority of God's word. We want God a la carte. Where we pick and choose what parts of our heart Christ can have. And, and, and say, well, you know what? 
we're going to do this anyway, but we'll try to sprinkle Christ in when we can. We try to a la carte and pick and choose the parts that, 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 that Christ can have. And, and we are determined to run our own lives by our own standards, by our own will, and not Christ. That, my friends, is hostility towards God. Oh, church family, starting with me, starting with me, because you know I can be up here preaching God's word from behind this pulpit and be the greatest offender of this. May I ask you, and may I ask I and myself a pointed question? Here it is. Are you all accarding the things of God? Are we a la carding the things of God? Are we gone week after week after week? Are we chasing in a pattern the things of this world that appeal to us more than Christ? Dumping our money and our time and our desires and our passions and our hobbies and chasing the things of the world and then eventually returning to worship or to Christ as though it says nothing of our spiritual condition. Paul says to that, that lie of self-deceit, he puts it to rest. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, this person is absolutely, completely different than the world. They are completely different. The old self goes away. And behold, the, the new one in the Spirit comes. In other words, everything you value more than Christ upon salvation, those things die in comparison in comparison to the supreme passion and glory of the love that we have for Jesus Christ who saved us by, our grace, by His grace. Let me just say this another way. Our pattern of, of life, our pattern of behavior, here it is, it matters. It matters. Behavior reveals truth. Behavior reveals truth. It is not what we say that gives us the assurance of salvation, but rather what we chase. What do you chase? What am I chasing? I want you to see how Paul moves even further to the contrast here. He says, those who are in Christ, their mindsets, here it is, do not subject themselves to the law. We see it within the purple and the green. Let me say this another way. And let us remember that Paul... No, this is huge. All right? And I'm going to ask you the question. You answer it. Who is Paul writing to here? Talk to me. The church. In Rome. From Corinth. He's writing to those who claim Jesus Christ. Let us remember that Paul is talking to those who attend church in Rome. He's not giving a lecture at Harvard University to the Atheist Association. He's not talking to the unchurched out there who could give a rip about Christ. He's talking about those who claim Christ. He is talking to the church. And by extension, he is talking to you and I. Those who are not truly in Christ refuse to be tied down by their law of Christ. They refuse to love the law of Christ. The New Testament is filled with many commands that a believer should long to obey. I want you to hear that. Not, here we go, I guess we got to follow Christ. That's my pouty walk, all right? But his law is written on our hearts and come hell or high water, I want Christ, amen? Not this world. And it increases in our heart. It overflows. 
in our lives. The New Testament is filled with many commands that believers should long to obey, not seek loopholes to disobey or redefine. Paul says those who are just religious will redefine the law of God, will diminish the law of God, will rationalize them, but they will not subject themselves to the Bible's instructions because the flesh is still ruling an authority in their life. Such a religious lost person will chase the things of the world while packing it with Christian vocabulary words. Have we ever heard that in Grand Rapids? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? But no amount of Christian verbiage can cover a heart that will not subject themselves to loving God with all of their heart and others as themselves. Truth be told, such a religious person not only refuses to be subject or submit to the law of God, but frankly, are not even able to do so. Are not even able to do so. And then he adds the words, they can't even please God because that's their nature. Now there's a great deal of doctrinal truth that we could unpack here, but let's just, let's just move quickly here because I think there's more value in remaining into the big picture rather than descending into the weeds, which is this. If you can... Here it is. And you can see it in the progression of the text. Does not subject themselves to the law of God. Does not able to do the law of God. And cannot please God. What I want you to see here is Paul is purposely driving these two types of people. For there are only two in opposite extremes. So that we might understand that the pattern of an unbeliever's mind. And the pattern of a believer's mind cannot coexist. They do not touch. There is no third category. There is no fourth category. There is in Christ or out of Christ. Oh church, have we created a subsection hyphenated Christianity where we can have both feet on each sides of the fence? I'm a Christian whose pattern is not set on the mind of Christ. There is no such thing I'm a child of God that is indifferent to the things of Christ. There is no such thing. I'm a Christian that finds good reasons to not obey Christ. Hear this. There is no such thing. I'm not saying we don't sin. I'm not saying we're morally perfect. I'm not saying I blew it. Pick a number. Pick a number. Pick a number. Two times this week. That's rather low. I've blown it two times up here. You just don't know it because I'm so religious. I'm not saying we don't blow it. Isn't that Romans 7? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this, this body of death? But praise be to God, there's no eternal damnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. So now we've got to ask ourselves, are we in Him? Are we in Him? So I'm not saying that we're morally perfect again. Here's what I want you to do. And I hope you find some, some, some comfort in this. How many are thankful there's comfort in this? Anyone at all? I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about pattern bent. Desire. What are we absorbed with? The desire and bent of our mind 
is towards Christ and the things of Christ, His, His law. Here's a question. Have we ever created categories that the Bible does not offer in order to excuse our love for the world? Do we spiritualize our love for the world? This is a hard teaching for me. Because just because I get up here and preach doesn't mean uh, during the week I don't chase the things of the world. Paul says such a mindset is antithetical to true salvation. Which brings us back to where we began. The great comforting in knowing that, that are you covered? And the answer is, as a child of God, yes. When you fail, there is now no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. When you fail, there is no eternal damnation to those who have placed their life-transforming, not cultural sprinkling, but life-transforming faith in Jesus Christ. Here it is. We are covered. How many are thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ covers us? Amen? Hold on to that. But then Paul, in the middle of these glorious promises, whispers the importance of knowing if you're covered or not. Because wishful thinking doesn't save a true child of God. The assurance of our salvation is not found in what we say but rather what we chase, assurance. Because if there is one thing we can all agree on, and we can't even fight this, we chase what we treasure. We chase what we treasure. What field are you digging in? What field am I digging in? In order to be covered, you have to be in Christ. What does that look like? Well, he tells us right here in this passage, one, you have to be born again by placing your faith in the life and the work and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's my sacrifice. His holiness, not mine. Number two, by confessing and repenting your sins. Which means, I no longer want this life. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away. And I'm going to pick up my cross of self-crucifixion, which I'm not going to live for myself anymore. And I'm going to follow Christ and head towards God. And then Paul says in this text, if you want to know if you've done that, Just look at the pattern of your mind and behavior. True salvation will bring with it a mindset that increasingly is dominated by the things of the Spirit. Our behavior will increasingly desire to glorify Christ and and be characterized by one who loves the Lord with all of his heart and the neighbor as himself. Here's my question for you. Here it is and we're done. All right, here's the question. When did this happen for you? When did it happen? What moment in time can you look back on and say that that this is when I was covered by the blood of the Lamb. This is when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And this is when my entire pattern of my heart and my life began to chase Jesus Christ. 
I like how one commentator said it. We have to live in this world, but we are not to live for this world. Church attender, are you covered? Well, let's just answer these questions honestly. You just answer these honestly. Between you and the Lord in your mind, based on a fair observation of your life and mine, is the pattern of your mind, the pattern of your behavior, dominated by the things of Christ? Do we make all of our decisions through the law of Christ because it's, it's in our hearts. We love it. To love Him with all of our heart and others. Does the teaching of the New Testament fuel the direction in the decisions of your life? Or do we a la carte? Do we chase the things of the world while packaging it in the bubble wrap of Christian vernacular? My friend, the answer to these questions will tell you if you belong to Christ or not. Paul says to the church, to the church, not to Harvard's Atheist Association, to you and I, look at your life, look at your heart, look at your mind, look at what you pursue. Your salvation is not marked by words and a prayer. Your salvation is not marked by words and a prayer. It is marked by faith. Amen, church? Faith that changes everything you treasure. A new creation. This is a hard truth. It cannot be a la carte. This morning as we dismiss. If you don't know and you don't see when this happened, I'm going to be at that back door shaking hands. Just say, I want Christ. I want to know Christ. And we will share with you the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a cultured, sprinkled with Christian morals that changes nothing that we chase. Your toes are sore and so are mine. Gracious Heavenly Father, dismiss us with your blessing. May we be a body who loves you, who seeks you, who's absorbed, obsessed with you. May we be beautiful in your sight, holy and chaste. Start with me. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I love you all. You are dismissed.